Hello and welcome to Insurance Tomorrow, a podcast brought to you by me, Nick Hewer, and Allianz. In this series, we examine global trends that will affect and shape businesses in the next few decades. We're looking at the risks, but also analyse the opportunities that could be available for business and discuss what all this means for the insurance industry. We've already covered AI, autonomous vehicles, Brexit and geopolitics. And if you missed them, you can download the episodes by subscribing now on your podcast app. Today, though, we're focusing on cyber security. Technology has revolutionised the business world, from the way an organisation interacts with customers to the way they store and read data. According to Allianz, by 2020, the data universe will reach 40 zettabytes. That's the equivalent of every person in the world filling 10 64 gigabyte smartphones with data. It's mind-boggling, but it's also a gift to cyber criminals. Their research also suggests cybercrime costs the world economy $445 billion a year. That's nearly half a trillion dollars. Recent high-profile victims of attacks include the NHS, Dixon's, Carphone and Yahoo. The attacks varied from bringing down entire computer networks to large data breaches. But cybercrime doesn't discriminate depending on the size of the company. The Federation of Small Businesses discovered that two-thirds of their members have been a victim of cybercrime in the last two years alone. And if you're not insured... An attack could be very costly. Joining me today to discuss this in more detail are Doug Needham, Information Security Officer at Allianz, Louise Stewart, the Director of Communications at the Federation of Small Businesses, Andy Thornley, the Head of Corporate Affairs at the British Insurance Brokers Association, and finally Neil from the National Cyber Security Centre for security reasons. We can't give his surname. Now, welcome to you all. Neil, I'm turning to you. Mr. Anonymous, I mentioned a few uh, high-profile attacks. What are the different levels of cyber breach? Well, there's a number of different types of breaches, and we have to look at the impact it would have on different businesses. By far, the most significant threat, certainly to small businesses, will come from uh, cyber criminals who are motivated by financial gain of what money they can get out of attacking you. And by far the majority of these kind of attacks come in the form of untargeted, non-sophisticated attacks. Examples of that is phishing emails, which we're all familiar with. Uh, These are very cheap for these these criminal gangs to launch. Uh, They don't have to spend a lot of time targeting you. They will just send hundreds of thousands of such emails out. And if anybody uh, falls victim, that's a bonus for them. So you can't really think that as a small business, no one's targeting you because they are. And wherever you hold payment information or personal information, there is a potential for criminal gangs to cash out on attacking you and make some money out of it. So that's by far the most significant role. All right. And the most serious to a business then? I think it depends on what your kind of business is. And we have to look at it as the majority of businesses can't operate without being able to talk to their customers and take orders or deal with customer requests for more than a few days. So having uh, their services taken down or having to take their services down as a form of attack really does cripple the majority of small businesses because they aren't able to work. But also losing the data that they hold from customers can result in a regulatory fine. Uh, 
and also can lose significant reputational damage with their customers. Thank you. Louise, you can come in with some real data, specific data on this. Yes, just to pick up on things that Neil's been saying, I mean, we see phishing as one of the most uh, prominent kind of attacks on small businesses. It accounts for around 50%. And it's not just the cost, as you say, of the phishing attack. It's the onward costs of, you know, if they lose customer data, it's the reputational damage. It's estimated it costs small businesses around £5 billion a year. So anyone who thinks, I don't need to worry about it, it's not going to happen to me, it can happen to any business. Um, and we're doing more and more of our work online, aren't we? So every small business has an online presence. Therefore, they're at risk. But you were telling me a high proportion of your members in the Federation mm. have been hit over the last 66% year. of SMEs have been hit by a cyber crime of some sort. Uh, phishing emails are one of the most common. I was talking to a small business who's a member recently, runs a laundry business. So he's, you know, doing sort of uh, um, tablecloths and napkins for nice hotels, etc. Got an email, looked like a legitimate invoice. It wasn't. It was a phishing email. So he fell prey to that. But there's also a stigma around it because a lot of I think we would see the um, incidence of attacks even higher because a lot of people don't want to report it because if they're seen to have had their data breached, then it's not great reputationally. Let me turn to to Doug. If I were a company boss, how much priority should I be giving cybersecurity? Are most managers doing that? So I think, as Louise has said, this is a, a prevalent issue across small businesses and large businesses alike. And so I think looking at some recent Allianz reports, it's the number one risk in the UK on the Allianz risk barometer. So it is very much top of mind from a lot of senior managers across all industries. How much priority should I be giving it? Well, I think you've got to understand what the consequences are. We've spoken a bit about transfer of money and inappropriate use of funds. I think another thing to address, address on that is the interruption that happens to your business in the event of a cyber attack. So it may not be that you've lost data. It may not be that you've transferred money out. It could be that your systems are made unaccessible or inoperable for a period of time. And if you're depending on computer networks for your business, and that might just be a spreadsheet on your computer with a list of customers on, if you don't know who your customers are and somebody phones you up and says, I'm coming in for a service next week, if you're looking at that list and going, oh, sorry, I don't know who you are, I don't know where you're booked in, that paints a really poor impression to your customer. And so you've got to remember that the customer is heart of this and cyber is one way in which your customer relations can be hit. Yeah, it's reputational damage, Absolutely. as I touched on earlier. And the, the thing about small businesses is many of them, you know, do not have the resources to have someone in-house like you. So therefore, that's why they're slightly more at risk. It's not because they're more targeted by, you know, fraudsters and cybercrime. It's because, like a small business, won't have an in-house HR. They won't have an in-house IT person. So although they genuinely are taking as many precautions as they can, they may not be as prepared as a, a bigger business. Andy, you're deep into the British insurance broking business. How well guarded, how well prepared are your members, do you think? There are big members, but there are a lot of individual small high street brokers, I guess. Are they up to the mark? Yeah, absolutely. I think when it comes to insurance brokers, the broker's role is to act as agent of the client here. And indeed, 79% of all commercial insurance goes through brokers. So got a really big part to play here. In terms of us as a trade association, we are 
putting guidance out and best practice to our members, both for their customers, but also for themselves as businesses to ensure that they're up to speed. And that includes things like the uh, government cyber essential scheme, which um, evidence shows can prevent 80% of cyber breaches from occurring. Um, that sort of uh, information and guidance, if we provide best practice to our members, they can also provide that best practice to their customers. I think part of the problem, though, is, isn't it, that we need to raise the profile of insurance for cybercrime because you wouldn't be a shopkeeper who didn't have any insurance for your premises in case you were burgled, but you're now much more likely to fall victim to cybercrime mm. than a physical burglary. And so it's raising the awareness of the need for that insurance um, that people have because, as I say, they would insure their property, but they might not insure themselves against cyber threats. Yeah, I think one of the, the issues that we see is there's a, a tension between cyber security and cyber insurance. And sometimes businesses think that it's a choice between the two. So they choose quite often to put the, the latest gizmo in place. Um, whereas if you were to fit a building with sprinklers, you wouldn't cancel your property insurance, which had fire cover in there. I think that's the same message we should be given when it comes to cyber. But Neil, you're sitting there with the National Cyber Security Centre. Why are you helping small businesses? What's your sort of uh, locus in this? Well, I think what the NCSE's role has come out of the fact of realising that small businesses really are the backbone of the UK economy. Uh, there's a scale problem of when more than half of small businesses have been attacked. That is a massive part of the UK economy that's either at risk of losing their intellectual property or not able to function and bring money in, which results in an impact on jobs and uh, revenue for the UK. So it's really important for government to be able to help provide and work with industry partners as we have here uh, to help these small businesses protect themselves. And just to carry on a little bit about what's been said, I mean, as far as small businesses and what steps they can take to protect themselves, you know, the evidence shows that a large percentage, even the majority of successful attacks, certainly on small businesses, are what we would call the basic controls. They're the easy stuff. It's not having passwords uh, configured properly, not updating your hardware or software. It's the stuff that's actually free, but just takes a little bit of time to implement. So we're not saying go and spend a lot of your money on a magic box that will do something for small businesses. Actually, take a little bit of time, understand the guidance that we've all discussed about here that we release to our members and implement some of those controls and just take that time to raise your resilience slightly and it does go hand in hand with insurance you know if you're looking at physical insurance you still know it's your responsibility to fit a front door lock set your alarm when you leave put your shutters down and then there's insurance after that it's the same with cybersecurity. you should have a password you should update your machines and then that's the kind of basic controls where the unexpected can happen after that. But far too many uh, smaller businesses, certainly we see, falling victim to these attacks that really should be preventable. And prevention is a lot easier and cheaper than cleaning up after the fact. I mean, a breach of data. How damaging could that be? Who's going to take this one on? Yeah. Well, a breach of data is huge. And we've just had the uh, in May, the new um, GDPR regulations came in. And that means that if you um, lose data now, I mean, you're um, compelled to inform the Information Commissioner's office um, about that. But you could face um, really substantial fine. It's 2% of your annual turnover. Um, and so small businesses 
you know, were struggling to get to grips with GDPR, a lot of them were keeping these lists of data, as you say, of customers and not even realising that's data, that's valuable to other people. So I think it's just to, um, a lot of them have taken steps to ensure that data is kept safe and they're perhaps more uh, cyber ready now than they were before the GDPR regulations came in. And I think following on from that, there is the fines aspect, but there is also the, if you look at some of the big data breaches that have happened over the years, the likes of Yahoo!, um, talk, talk. Equinox, talk, talk. Following this, quite often see a drop in share price yeah. as well. So it, it hits the kind of executive level interest straight away. But it's reputational Executives damage. Get fired potentially, absolutely, yeah. That costs you much more than the actual physical attack or the cyber attack. It's Indeed. the reputational damage, which is long term. And I think one of the other impacts as well, particularly if you are in a regulated industry, quite often your regulator will take a very keen interest if you've had a cyber breach. Sure, there may sure. also be reporting requirements to them as long, along as with the exactly. information commissioner and that will have a an impact on your work because they will then come and do a thorough investigation and take up the time of your, your organisation to respond to that. And certainly that's some of the, even the pre-GDPR days, that's some of the uh, input we're having from uh, organisations that have been attacked, that, especially the smaller ones, they get over the damage to their business, they spend t- time on consultants coming in to fix it, feel like they're getting over this, and then suddenly a fine comes through. And they feel very, you know, often they say to us, well, that, I feel like I'm a victim. I, you know, I, I spent all this time and I've lost damage to my business by uh, having to clear this up. And there's a fine on top. And that's very hard for small businesses to take when they don't have that much money to spend. And the reputational damage. So in a sense, being protected is more than just making sure your IT system's up to date because, you know, a lot of uh, painful things come uh, come running down the road towards you, don't they? I think Neil's just made a really good case for cyber insurance there because, you know, sort of cyber insurance in the event of a, an attack when you claim not only provides um, the... Uh, funds to be able to pay for experts, you know, forensics to see where it went wrong to try and sort of fix that hole, uh, which are quite difficult to get hold of as well. There's only, a, you know, sort of a, a small pool of, of forensic experts in the UK so that, you know, so the cost of them is going up all of the time. But also uh, some policies can respond to fines as well and that's, uh, or penalties I should say, and that's really sort of where, you know, as a business, if you're looking to mitigate these risks as you would do with any other, whether it be burglary, fire, flood, um, this is really where cyber insurance comes into its own. I think the key message is if you use a computer, you probably need cyber insurance. Do businesses actually know what products are on offer, do you think? No. So the last uh, government cyber breaches survey highlighted that um, some customers or, or, or the, uh, quite a, a large pool of small businesses struggled to understand what was in the policy. And indeed, the policies, because... Uh, although cyber risks have been around for a while, the cyber insurance market is still relatively immature compared to other product lines mm. where we've got hundreds of years worth of actuarial data. We know where the claims are going to occur. We know how much they're going to cost and it's easy to to, to calculate that stuff. But because not only is cyber quite a, a new market on top of that as well, we see the, the, the landscape changing all the time with different threats, different vectors being used. So therefore, it, it's it's quite difficult uh, to to come to a consensus on this, and we see different policy wordings, uh, different terminology, uh, no standard heads of cover here, and this this can be quite difficult. So, a piece of work we've kicked off recently with the Association of British Insurers, the International Underwriting Association, and ourselves, and keeping uh, government in the loop on this as well, is looking at how we can better understand the differences be- between cyber policies and how they respond in the event of a claim. 
I've got an interesting stat here that um, FSB members, so small businesses, only 6% of them have cyber insurance. Now, you'd be astonished if only 6% of them had car insurance, wouldn't you? So it's the fact that they don't realise they need it. And we offer cyber insurance as part of the, the member sort of benefit. And we're finding virtually no one claiming. And yet we know they're being victims of attack. So... It's sort of the lack of awareness that you've spoken about. Yeah, the uh, so I've mentioned the cyber breaches survey. The most recent one um, showed that um, so small businesses six percent uh, more generally for businesses of all size nine percent of businesses say they have standalone cover. Uh, the most common reason forty one percent of those businesses that don't have standalone cover said it's because they don't feel that they have the risk to necessitate it. Yeah. Going back to my point earlier, if you use a computer, you hold any sort of customer data, whatever it is you probably need it because if that computer is taken away from you tomorrow, how are you going to trade? If you can't trade, then that's an issue. So amongst you all then, how is the industry setting up to meet this increasing and expensive and dangerous challenge? From our point of view, uh, we have recently uh, pushed out a guide to our members. Uh, We've got just under 2,000 insurance broking firms across the UK from all sizes, the world's largest, to, you know, sort of one-man band on a rural high street in Wales. Uh, And it's incumbent upon us to try and educate the broking uh, base to to ensure that they are well-equipped to deal with this. And I think this this comes as as well with from a regulatory point of view. So the Financial Conduct Authority has got as a key theme in their business plan for this year and next cybersecurity and cyber resilience. So I think it's very much on their agenda and understanding how they can provide guidance or perhaps instruction to regulated firms so that they are clear what is expected from them. Um, Another part of that business plan is looking at the supply chain. And I think this is a really important part from a cyber perspective because it's, it's not just company to customer, but business to business as well. If one company is in, is a victim of a cyber attack, that then may spread to another one, which again has an operational and reputational impact. So it's, it's very much understanding who do you do business with? Are you sharing information with them? How are they handling the data? And it's, it's quite a big feast, which is difficult to get your teeth in. In, t- in terms of um, NCSC, uh, we've found our colleagues there to be very, very good. There's a number of different tools. There's the you know Cyber Essential Scheme that I mentioned earlier, but there's also things like the Cyber Information Security Partnership, which is um, with essentially, correct me if I'm wrong, Neil, uh, so you probably better uh, describe this than I would, but it's essentially a forum where you can come on and post either anonymously or, or with your name and say, guys, I've seen this, you know, sort of, has, has anyone come across that before? And and there's a number of different tools and briefings within there at different uh, security levels that you can understand what the, the, the risk environment is like. And Neil's absolutely right. I mean, we work with um, the NCSC to get the information out there because our small businesses, our members, wouldn't go on a government website, but we point them to here's the information, this is the simple steps you can do to protect yourself, etc. So it's about working together because um, as we go forward, I think it needs to be a bigger educational piece and people in schools, etc. Mm-hmm. need to be thinking about it from a very early stage. But if you are a sort of digital native, if you like, you're going to be much more aware of how to keep yourself safe online. So, Doug, what sort of policies, products have you got on the shelf to deal with all this? 
So Alliance has a cyber risk assessment which is available to our policyholders. Uh, this is through a partnership that we have with a company called IT Governance, who is a leading cybersecurity consultancy. Um, through this, you can go online and do a risk assessment against the, the government standard cyber essentials piece. And there's also an opportunity to apply for cyber essentials certification through that. On top of that, we have a computer policy, which is which covers a range of items from smartphones, sat navs, laptops and servers. And it's a standalone cover from Alliance Engineering, or it can be an optional section um, for medium and large businesses through our commercial select and, and other products there. On a uh, larger scale, Alliance Cyber Protect, uh, which is offered via Alliance Global Corporate and Specialty. There's media liability as well, which covers uh, third-party claims out of defamation or infringement. And uh, also, uh, I think you're, re- you're referencing to actual property as well. Uh, um, so these tend to be standalone. Business interruption has got to be a big one. Absolutely. It? The whole but, thing comes grinding to a halt. Yeah, absolutely. Where that first-party... Um, you know, sort of uh, value comes from is is business interruptions. What happens if you have no computers, no access to data tomorrow? You know, how would you recover? Whether that's loss of earnings, you know, sort of putting in, uh, whether you need to move to uh, you know alternative accommodation as a result, that sort of stuff. That's the type of thing these standalone policies can pick up. I think there's a very um, important differentiation between you know the package policies that you sometimes uh, get, which you know sort of include a bit of cyber in there as well. The problem with those is the limits tend to be uh, a lot lower, and it's uh, the limits are what we call in the aggregate, which means that you know if you have a employer's liability claim, you know that counts towards the limit that you've got. You can quite easily burn through those limits with other types of claims prior to a cyber event happening and find out that you don't have the level of insurance that you want. That's why a standalone policy is very important in these circumstances. I think on the notification side as well, this comes back to GDPR and as part of the General Data Protection Regulation, if you've had a significant breach, you've, you're obligated to notify your customers as well. And depending on how many customers you've got, that could be quite a significant cost. And if you've got that coverage, then that's one less thing to worry about. Well, it does lead me on to a question, really. What should an organisation actually do when they suddenly wake up and they've been victim to a big attack? What are, what are the... What's on the list? One of the things, and it's really easy to say with hindsight, is remember that preparation is much better than clearing up. Uh, But part of that preparation, as well as putting the controls in place, is to think about what your business continuity plan would be beforehand. Uh, So, you know, what you should do when you wake up on the first morning is really pull your plan out of the cupboard and know what you're doing. And that might be uh, looking at where your data is, how to get it back, who the key people in your business are to talk to, uh, who who might outside of your business you already have on a retainer or have done some pre-research so you're not looking around the internet for an IT company to come and help you. Uh, it might be to talk to your insurance company and you already know what services they can provide to offer. You're not looking through your policy booklet. So there's that big bit about prep- preparedness. Well, from a comms perspective, I think it's really important to um, look at how you deal with the crisis. If you've been breached, you've got to deal with um, the fallout of that and and protecting your reputation. So it's informing um, customers if they need to be informed. It's informing the information commissioner's office if there's been uh, a breach in data. And, And as I said there, the fines can be 
pretty hefty. I mean, uh, 10 million euros is the highest fine or 2% of your company's global um, turnover. So you could be facing a really big fine. Um, So it's sort of dealing with the um, sort of trying to contain the situation, but being honest about it. If you have have had a data breach, you are... um, you you know you have to inform the information commissioner you have to inform the customers they if you've lost their data they need to be aware of that so i think it's dealing with all of those strands as well and this this is where you can put a more positive spin on it so those companies who have had a breach and come out of it very well are typically those who have plans in place who have very good communication yeah. strategies and have either put their hand up straight away given as much information as they can to the customer, explained how the customer can then protect themselves through either credit monitoring services, how they're going to remediate it. Very often, a good response plan paints you in a positive light because I think there's a lot of sympathy in in the consumer base to say, this is an issue which is difficult to protect against, but I've seen you've taken reasonable measures. And we've sort of covered this point, but um, a small business hit with a fine. And you've talked about the 2% of annual turnover. How catastrophic can that be? And what support is available for small businesses in in those circumstances? Well, it could be really catastrophic. I mean, we could see small businesses going out of business. If you've had, um, it's estimated some small businesses could be victim to um, a cyber attack every six months. If that happened, you've just got back on your feet and then you're victim of another one. Uh, you know, at the moment when conditions are tough anyway with other things going on like business rates, etc., the last thing you need is to face a big fine and also the cost of clearing up uh, the mess of a cyber attack. So, it could be catastrophic. And I think the reason it's so important for small businesses, but you asked the question earlier, Nick, why it was important, why the government is is providing this information, etc. It's because 99% of businesses in the private sector in the UK are small and medium enterprises. They make up by far the lion's share of businesses. And that's why it's imperative that the information is out there, that the government supports them, that Bieber supports them. So that, you know, because if they don't and and businesses fall victim to cybercrime, then, you know, it has an impact on all of us. So it's a newish threat. We're all learning. So in a nutshell, let's round it up. Is the insurance market learning fast enough? Is it changing fast enough to meet this? What do you think? So I think the insurance market has go, is going through a new technology kind of era. There's so much change in technology, which is driving change from a cyber perspective as well. So I think from my perspective, that's how I kind of come at, come at it, looking at it from an alliance view. Um, certainly, we are keeping up with the, the change in technology and we need to. Neil? So I think, yeah, I think with the cyber industry, it's very hard to keep faster than the criminals their route to market seems quicker and easier than anybody involved in protecting organizations. And that's the challenge, you know, even things like we have a skills gap of qualified cybersecurity people in the UK to uh, to, to help organizations uh, prepare and respond to these kind of things. But I think the insurance company is critical to playing a part in this partnership with us uh, to be able to provide the right advice and products to uh, the small community. Andy, are you proud of your your brokers? Are they up to the mark? Yeah, absolutely. Massively proud of them. Uh, Like I said, the majority of commercial business goes through brokers, playing an exceedingly important uh, part in this. And therefore, our role as a trade body is to liaise with government uh, government partners such as NCSC uh, and also other trade bodies within the industry to make it... um, 
uh, well, to increase the uptake of cyber insurance, to improve the products and to build resilience into UK PLC at the end of the day, which is increasingly important uh, as the nature of threats goes up. I think technology's brought us great convenience, but it's also brought a convenience to criminals, which they seem to be um, able to exploit with ease. From my perspective to add, Alliance works with a lot of small businesses in our supply chain, both upward and downward, and we quite often find that we are working with them to help build their resilience so that it's it's critical for our resilience as well. So we are very keen to share that knowledge, and I think it comes back to your question earlier about getting a big, long list of questionnaires, which is a typical big company thing to do. We need to fill in this questionnaire, demonstrate all these answers Quite often we find that we get the responses you've talked about saying, I don't know how to answer these. So we will work with them to help clarify this, provide advice as appropriate. Um, but it is, it's their business in the end of the day and we need to make sure they are understanding what they are exposed to. And Louise, are you being looked after? Well, I think uh, small businesses would always say they'd like more support, wouldn't they? But I think um, there is support out there. It's our job to flag it up to them. Um, but I, I think, you know, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. The way we live now is online and therefore people have to be cyber savvy and cyber aware in order to protect themselves. That brings this episode to an end. My thanks go to uh, Doug Needham, Information Security Officer at Alliance. Louise Stewart, the Director of Communications at the Federation of Small Businesses. Andy Thornley, the Head of Corporate Affairs at the British Insurance Brokers Association. And finally, Neil from the National Cyber Security Centre. Please do subscribe to the podcast through your podcast app. That way, you'll be sure of never missing an episode. And we'd really appreciate you leaving us a review as well. We'll be back to explore another major global trend in the next episode of Insurance Tomorrow. In the meantime, from me, Nick Hewer, it's goodbye.